Well, it's that time of the year. Halloween is over. And the very next day, it's on the television. It's in the stores. It's everywhere you look. It's there. Families are calling each other to prepare for it. And of course, what I'm talking about is the new Star Wars movie coming out next month. (laughs) It is. It's a big deal. People are already buying their tickets. Places are sold out already. But the new Star Wars movie comes out next month. Uh, I don't know if you're a Star Wars fan. I'm a Star Wars fan. Uh, I probably know too much about it to be considered a cool Star Wars fan. I'm probably more on the nerd spectrum when it comes to Star Wars. I've seen all the movies multiple times, and we'll probably watch them all again in preparation for the new one coming out next month. It's become a tradition that Christmas night we go to the $5 movie theater in Russell Springs, Kentucky, and we watch the new Star Wars movie. They come out every December now. But if we're honest about Star Wars, they basically just repeat themes over and over and over again. The the same thing kind of happens time and time again. There's always someone being mentored and someone always mentoring them. That's just the way that it goes. Either they're trying to get them to do good or they're trying to get them to do bad, but always there's some trainee and there's always some trainer and they try to do the best that they can. But there comes a point where the one who is being trained has to do something on their own. They have to make a decision on their own. They have to decide whether they're going to do something or not. And of course, that's where the movie uh, turns and becomes more about them and less about the person who uh, tried to train them. This is the way it goes. That's the way life goes, right? Chances are you didn't show up your very first day of work knowing everything that you needed to to do. Now, you may have just graduated college and thought you knew everything that you needed to do, but you were quickly reminded by your boss when you got there the first day of work, you, in fact, know nothing. And so you had to be trained in what you were going to do. Even if all you've done is, is work on your family farm growing up, you didn't just automatically know that. You learned that from how other people did it. I think the thing that you and I probably have most common is riding a bicycle, right? At some point, they let go. Now, whether they were nice about it or whether they just flung you down a hill and said, good luck, all of us had to learn to ride the bike the same way. There was a point that the training wheels were gone, mom or dad or whoever let go, and we had to balance and we had to drive, ride the bicycle without falling down. It's the way basically everything in our life goes. Someone takes us under their wing in some way, shape, or form, we learn and we grow, but then there comes a point where we have to make decisions on our own. There's a point where your boss says, okay, you know all this now, now it's up to you to perform or you're fired, right? They, that's the way that this works. And so we're tempted to think that this is how God works. Because we're so used that everything works this way, we think that this is how God works. And so last week we talked about how God calls us. And when, because He knows us, because He created us, He calls us. And because He calls us, He qualifies us to do what He tells us to do. And if God worked like the world worked, after He called us, He would just say, okay, go, good luck. And so we're going to see today that that's not exactly how God works. Exodus 3 is where we're at this morning. <clears throat> For some reason, the app isn't working this morning, so you might have to actually get in uh, that book in front of you because of the Bible and open it up. Exodus 3, it's, it's in the beginning, so you should find it pretty quickly. Starting in verse 13, it says, Moses said to God, 
Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Remember this. Remember, Moses, if he goes on his own behalf, it's not going to go well for him. Because the last time he was in Egypt, he killed someone. And so the Jews are scared of him, and the Egyptians want to kill him. And so if he goes on his own behalf, he's probably not getting very far with, hey, I really think you should let a million people go for free. That's probably not going to work very well. And so he says, okay, God, if I'm going to go on your behalf, who do I tell them is sending me? God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is, who you, this is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. For the first time, God reveals his true name to someone. The reality of the situation is this. Uh, if someone's close to you, you know their name. If you don't, they're just bro or guy or dude or hun or something like that where you're trying to be nice, but because you actually don't know their name, you're not going to say it, okay? You probably don't have a relationship with that person. They may think you have a relationship, but you, you don't because you don't even know their name. God tells Moses his name. He says, my name is this. It's Yahweh. It's I am God wants Moses to understand that he can't have a meaningful relationship with him unless they know each other by name. And of course, there's that phrase, I am. And it's confusing to a lot of people, but essentially, if you get down, the connotation is this. I am there with you wherever you are. I really am. If we had to summarize, what does this mean? That first statement there on the screen, that's what it is. I'm there with you wherever you are. I really am. The best English translation is, I am he who is. In other words, anything you need, I am that. And anywhere you go, I am there. That's the name of our God. And so God doesn't work like a Jedi trainer, and he doesn't work like your boss, and he doesn't work like whoever pushed you down the hill so you learn how to ride a bicycle. God doesn't give you instructions as he drives you to the airport, sees you to the TSA checkpoint, give you a $20 bill, and say, hey, good luck. God drives you to the airport, sees you through security, flies the plane, gets you off the plane, and says, okay, let's go do something. This is who God is. God is always with us. He always provides for us. He always is beside us. He doesn't let us do things on our own because He knows if we do things on our own, it's not going to work out the way that it needs to. God goes with us. He wants Moses to understand that. You're not going by yourself. You're not going on your own. I'm going with you. And He wants the Israelites who hear this name to understand I know things seem bleak, I know things seem tough, but I really am with you. God doesn't call you to something and just let you fend for yourself. God goes with you. In Exodus 3.15, God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. And so what happens when God goes with us? God is with us, so what what is the result of this? Well, the first thing is that God, when God is with us, when I am is with us, He brings His credibility. He also can talk. Uh, he, He brings His credibility. He says, when you go to the Israelites, you remind them, this is who I am. 
All those stories that you heard growing up about the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, that's me. I am that same God. The same promises that I made to them, I make to you. I am that God. I'm not this brand new God that Moses found out in the desert. I'm the same God who did all of this. And let's be honest, if we went to places, there would be a pretty good chance that our credibility might not get us through the door. Maybe there's things that we've done in our past, that our family has done in their past. Maybe it's just the fact that even though we were supposed to let our yeses be yeses and no mean no, at some point we got those mixed up and we told a lie or we were less than truthful and so our credibility suffers. But the thing is that when we go on behalf of God, goes, God goes with us and His credibility, well, it's through the roof. Ephesians 1 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength He exerted when He raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, at every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Paul drops kind of a a bombshell here. He says, this great power that you have through God, it's the same as the mighty strength that He exerted when He raised Christ from the dead. You see, when God goes with you, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and well in you. So we don't only go with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or David, or Elijah, or anything else. We go with the very Spirit of God as Christians, the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We go with the same power that raised Jesus from the grave. And when that goes with us, our credibility is probably not what we want to stand on. We probably just want to reserve the fact that, yes, we have the great I Am who is with us. His name speaks louder than my name. And so when I go, I carry Him with me. And He is able to do everything that He says He's going to do. So what He wanted to tell Moses. He says, I want you to remind them that I'm still here. I want you to remind them of all the things that I've done. All these stories that they've heard. They're all true. And now I am coming to answer their call. He continues to assure Moses here in verse 16. He says, Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. God wanted to remind Moses of something that was very important. Hey, even though I'm with you, this isn't going to be easy. All right. After all, you are telling one of the most powerful nations 
on the planet that you would like him or like them to just let a million and a half people just waltz out of there, their entire workforce waltz out of the country and just let them go. That's probably not going to be, Pharaoh's probably not going to listen the very first time and be like, yeah, that sounds reasonable, go ahead. He's going to really brush back at this. You're taking everything away from them. So I want you to know that he's not probably going to fall on the line. So that's why he says in verse 19, he's not going to let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. Unless something bigger than you compels him, he's not going to let you go. And luckily, God has that mighty hand. And so he says, I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders I will perform among them. He says, the one who's going to convince Pharaoh to let you go, it's not you. It's me. And here we learn something important about God. Not only does He give us His credibility, but God has a passion for you. God has a passion for you. And when you are His, He protects you. When I am is with you, He will protect you. God is actively on your side. He is passionate about you and your relationship with Him. He wants you to understand that He is for you. He wants it to go beyond a shadow of a doubt. Now here's the thing. I know that you and I, we hear that and we think about times in our lives where that did not seem to be the case. And so we read verses like Romans 8.28. It says, and, now we know, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. And when we hear that, we start to bristle a little bit. Because we remember when that test came back positive. We remember when you went through depression. You remember when you got the pink slip. You remember when all this happened and it didn't really seem that God was for you when that happened. But you see, here's the truth. Is that God is for us but He does not promise us our definition of happiness. He promises His definition of holiness. And as we read the Bible, what we find out is our faith is made perfect when it's tried and when it's tested. It's like a silver that has to be refined by fire. What God does promise is that whatever happens to us, he will take something that is bad and bring something good from it. Here's the realization that we have to make, and, and I'm as guilty as anyone because we're so narrow-minded. When something bad happens to us and we feel like the world's falling apart and God's on vacation somewhere and doesn't care about what's going on in our life, here's what we have to realize. You and I are in the middle of a spiritual battle. There is God, there is Satan, and there is a spiritual battle that is going on. We cannot expect to not get caught in the crossfire. We can't expect to just waltz through life with an enemy who wants to destroy us so that we die and we never have a chance to know God. And so we can't expect for life to be all rainbows, butterflies, and bunny rabbits. It's going to be tough. But when it gets tough, 
is when God reminds us how good He is. God promises us, because He is on our side, that when we go and when we carry out His will in this world, He protects us because we are His people. He will not let things that happen to us go to waste. God will work for the good of His people. There's a third thing that we learn here in Exodus Verse 21, he says, And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed to this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And and so you will plunder the Egyptians. Here's the thing. Um, God knew that when He said, okay, you guys are going to go into the desert, that the Israelites were going to say, with what? With what? I mean, I know that it's bad here, but we have a home. I know it's bad here, but we have food. You're calling us to go into the desert with, you know, there's no Walmarts there. Where are we going to get food? There's no clothing stores. How are we going to make sure that we're clothed? How is this going to happen? So God assures them from day one, hey, when you leave, the Egyptians are going to be so eager to get rid of you that they're going to give you things and you're going to be okay. Fast forward nine chapters, and after all the plagues, and after the death of the firstborn, verse 31 of chapter 12, it says, during the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go, and also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise they said, we will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made, for the, had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people and they gave them what they asked for, so they plundered the Egyptians. So let's recap what God has promised. God has promised you will go to Pharaoh, you will ask that a million people will be let go. And yes, it took a little bit of persuading, but a million people were on their way out of Egypt. He says, oh, and you're not going to leave empty-handed. I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed to you. In other words, they're going to be so glad that you're leaving, they are going to give you parting gifts like crazy. And so they're going to give you everything that you need. And oh, by the way, that's exactly what happens. You see, here's the truth. When I am is with us, we can count on Him to fulfill His promise. 10 out of 10 times, 100 out of 100, 1,000 out of 1,000, God is going to uphold His end of the bargain. Everything that this book tells you and me that God is going to do, God is going to do. He is. And when He goes with us, we can count on Him. That's why a little bit later in Romans 8, we read a verse from that earlier. Paul says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. 
Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as a sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen and amen. Nothing will separate us. And God keeps His promises. Notice what His offering is. In verse 32, Paul says, He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. Folks, anytime that we doubt, anytime we wonder, God, do you really know what's going on? God, do you, are you sure you can fulfill these promises? All we have to do is look at the cross. Because if God will do that, then what He's told you He will do, He will do. If God will send His only Son to die on a cross, a death that we deserved in our stead so that we can have a relationship with Him, then what He says He will do, He will do. That cross that you wear around your neck, the one that hangs in your house, is a reminder. It's not just an ornament. It's a reminder. God keeps His promises. Always. God keeps His promises. Even when times are tough, even when life doesn't make sense, the God who is with us keeps His promises. And I know that we think that conceptually this is really awesome stuff. I mean, if just in theory, this is great. But does it actually work? Does it actually work? Yes, it does. But you look at the life circumstances that you're in, you're looking at, at health, and you're looking at relationships with your kids, and you're looking at the way that the world works, and you say, man, I, I, I mean, conceptually, I know God's with me, but man, there's a lot of stuff for me to tackle. Exodus 14, the people have left Egypt. We're going to read a little bit more about this next week. They have left Egypt, uh, but they wish that they were stuck between a rock and a hard place. They're stuck between a, a sea and a charging army. And they're starting to question. Probably the same questions that you had when you felt like God wasn't there. I wish we could just go back. I wish that we were safe. I wish, I wish, I wish. So in Exodus 14, verse 13, Moses answers the people. He says, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Listen, the the Christian life is about going, it's about doing, it's about being. 
You actually have to exert effort. It's not just good enough to say you have faith. You have to put it into action. We just spent like 11 billion weeks in James so that you know that. We have to do this. But there's a point where it runs out. There's a point where you say, I literally can do nothing else to make this marriage work. There's a point where we look and we say, I, there is literally nothing else I can do with my son. There is literally nothing else I can do to get my coworker to come to church. You look at the world around you and you pray 17 times a day and you do everything right and yet there's one more shooting and one more earthquake and one more natural disaster and there's one more whatever and you say, there is literally nothing else I can do. You know what the beautiful thing about this book is? It's a lot of stories about people who did everything that they could but only did great things when God stepped to the plate. You see, we have our limits, but we have a God who can do more. How much more? Paul says in Ephesians 3.20, Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to His power that is at work with us. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout generations forever and ever. Amen. I want you all to show me how much is immeasurably more. Go. No one should do anything because you can't measure it. It's immeasurable. Right? Immeasurably more. God, I can only give this much. It takes this much to save my marriage. God can do immeasurably more. God, I can only give this much to try to get this person to come to church. God can give immeasurably more. God, I don't know how we're going to survive this. God can do immeasurably more. And He is with you. He is credible. He is passionate about you. And He always keeps His promise. And so God's not just calling you to live a Christian life and wish you the best of luck as He pats you on the back as you go out the door. God walks along with you so that you do it. He is faithful. He is true. He is able to do everything that He tells you that He can do. See, God goes with you. So stand firm knowing that He is on your side. He's with you. You see, there's a point where we run out. And that's where we remember the psalm that says, Be still and know that I am God. Because it's when we can do nothing else that we see God come in in immeasurably and fills a gap that is immeasurably more than we can fill. And we have a perfect example of Him doing this We referenced it earlier, but it's the cross. The Bible tells us that there's literally nothing that we can do to have a relationship with God. We cannot be good enough. And so our ability to have a relationship with God is like this much. There's a giant chasm between us and God. But luckily for us, there's a God who's passionate about us and is on our side. And so He sent Jesus to fill however long that gap was with immeasurably more grace so that you and I could have a relationship with Him. And if you have accepted that, then you need to realize that today you celebrate. 
You celebrate that immeasurably more has happened in your life. But there may be others here today that that's not the case. You've never accepted Jesus as your Savior. You never have said, you know, maybe you've even reasoned, I'm a good person, I'm okay. No. You're not able to bridge that gap on your own. Only Jesus can. And so every Sunday, this isn't just something we have to do. We, we do this as a privilege to offer people that saving grace of God. And so this morning, if you have a decision to make for Jesus to say, I accept Him as our Savior, as my Savior, I don't want to try to do this on my own. I know I can't do this on my own, and so I need His grace. Then I invite you to come forward during this next song as we sing. The rest of us today, here's the truth. We have a God who's with us. We have a God who is on our side. And I don't say this flippantly. Believe it. Live it. Don't go through life defeated. We are more than conquerors in Christ. And so if you have something going on, I offer this every week, but I offer it again this week. If you have something going on and you just need prayer, I'd love to pray with you. Grab someone next to you. They would pray with you. Our elders are up here. They would pray with you as well. Or maybe today you just want to say this is the church home that you want to belong to. We invite you with open arms to come and help us be who God created us to be. We need you as much as you may think that you need us. But this morning, we have a God who goes with us, a God who stands firm with us, and a God who is on our side. And He is able. And we celebrate that. Father, thank You for today. Thank You for always being there. The great I Am. The One who is always with us. The One who never uh, will leave us. The One who never forsakes us. God, you, You are good. And so, Father, we pray today, Lord, that we would give this to You everything that is bothering us, everything that is holding us back. Father, we give to You. Maybe we're in the middle of of a time of despair in our life. Father, we trust You that You'll make something good out of it. We trust You that You're good. We trust You that You're for us. We trust Your words. And we trust Your promises. So this morning, Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who needs to make a decision for You, that You would prompt them in their heart to do that. Father, as we all stand, as as we all sing, may we sing in celebration of the fact that we're not alone, that you are with us, and that you are able to do immeasurably more. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.